Hello and welcome to the Forbes India Cover Story podcast series in association with the Indicast.com. My name is Abhishek, and uh, this time we are nearing the end of 2011. And unsurprisingly, just like on previous two occasions, Forbes India has an interesting package this December. And to talk about it, uh, I have with me Peter Griffin, the editor, special feature, and social media, as well as Shishit Prasad, the deputy editor. Hello, both of you. Hi, Abhishek. Hi, Abhishek. Hi. Tell me one thing. We did this a year ago, and uh, it's quite a challenge to design a year-end issue. When this year, especially 2011, has been pretty eventful in many respects, uh, not just in India but everywhere, including Europe and the Middle East. So, what does this issue cover? Well, as we've done in the past, we break the template of Forbes India when we do the year-end issue. Mm-hmm. We do break the template for both the year-end and for our anniversary issue. And we try and give the reader something a little different, something that perhaps the reader will choose to keep and refer to through the year. You know, that's the additional challenge out here. We like we like to keep those, you know, as more as collectors' issues, so to speak. So what we have done in the past, for instance, is look ahead at the year and make some predictions. Look back in the year that's just passed for one, but also stick our necks out and make predictions on things that we think are going to happen in the next year. So it's a bit of a gamble on what we can do, but then we have to trust our, you know, the fact that we're following various beats, that we follow different things, and make educated guesses in what we do. Uh, Abhishek, you're right. It is a little different, as Peter said. And the whole idea really is that, you know, we've any, we've any done the expected right through the year. So for one issue, we typically do this thing which is slightly different, which is a little in the mode of unwinding, as it were. The entire year-end issue really has a little bit of serious, but a lot of fun sort of combined in one package as it were. And uh, the way things have, uh, Mr. Griffin here, he has the fun parts, I have the serious parts. I remember one thing, uh, both of you, when we did this a year ago, I remember a few words that you had spoken about in the cover, which was the new words invented or, you know, discovered in 2010. And one of them I vividly remember was Refudiate by Sarah Palin. And the other one was, I think, Interlocutor, which... Shashi Tharoor made, made it famous in, in the Twitter community and all of that. So we will come to the lighter yeah. part as well. And yes, uh, Peter, you did mention that uh, you need to predict certain things and they can be tricky. But you did get a few predictions right, didn't you? Like US pulling out of Afghanistan or Mamta Banerjee's Trinamool Congress uh, coming in power this year. In fact, one of our lists is about the predictions that one of the things that we've done since the second again this time is a few of the major predictions that we got right. And again, this year too, it's no different. There is one one article that Shishir, you have written is about uh, what India must do to get right up there, to use the word, it's the, to, to reach the superpower status. So you talk about uh, foreign policy and probably a little more transparency in the government. W- what do you think, Shishir? Is, is it possible and feasible to, to think that India can get there? So the challenge always when you're trying to do something like this is that you're trying to be very brief and very to the point. Right. So the whole idea that you could write out the things that India must do to become a superpower in about 250 words is at one level an insult to the idea. But if you really think about it and if you actually separate the entire shaft from the wheat as it were, the challenge really is, you know, and we discussed this internally, is how we manage our democracy and how we manage our sort of, you know, move towards a market economy. So that's one point. If you really think about it, a whole host of debates in India today are actually where the democratic structure is coming in in some ways in conflict with this. Then there is the open but decisive government. So we probably are trying to open up our governance to the general public at large, but we aren't fully ready with what's the effect 
it might have on the way we run our administration. So what has happened is, as you know, and I think papers are full of it every day, is that simply because now people know more about how governance works through RDI or whatever, there is a decision paralysis from this. People stop taking decisions. Now, that's not the point. The point of open and transparent governance is that things should move better and faster. So that's another debate we have to also. You're trying to distill and and come up with something which you think are the, at a meta level, the key things that if you, if you solve, you will probably get there. And also the coming year in terms of politics worldwide, there are a few activities lined up, right? For instance, Obama will be fighting it out for the second term if he gets there and in China, Yu Jintao will step down. India will have a new president. But what are your views on uh, Mr. Rahul Gandhi? There is a question that, and I quote from the cover is that will he throw his hat in the ring? So is there an answer to that? We've asked these questions to experts in the area. So for instance, this question has gone to Rashid Kidwai, who is a journalist, ex-journalist, and he's written a book called 24 Akbar Road. And so he's explained it very nicely about how should you actually even interpret the phrase throw your hat in the ring. What does the ring in this in Mr. Gandhi's case mean and so therefore you know what you should interpret as throwing his hat into the ring so he says that in direct involvement the way people want is not something which he may have planned and uh, you know for the further answer I would sort of urge people to sort of read the article it's a much more considered way of presenting it I don't want to summarize it in sort of two lines but what he says is that it's a much larger strategy from which this guy is coming and so you've got to look at that first right Peter, initially you'd be very slightly, we touched upon uh, the, the lighter aspect that you are known to bring about. So can you take us through a couple of them which do not exactly talk about politics or business or what happened to Gaddafi or uh, Mubarak? So tell us about the lighter side of this issue. Forbes, uh, India has not, has never been all about, only about business. We concentrated yes. also on giving the reader intelligent reading that is on other topics that might interest her or him. I'm, I'm the non-business person in the bureau, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so that sort of justifies my salary. <laughs> so, uh, so basically you have the most envious job at Forbes India. So let's put it that way, pleasantly. Uh, matter of opinion on that one, but yeah, you could say from some view that might look kind of enviable. Yeah. But so essentially it means that I will, I don't have to, uh, I, I mean, you know, I'm not evaluating based on whether I can understand PE ratios, but, uh, you know, which is a relief because yeah. I left that behind in my advertising career. Uh. And so what we do with the lists here, for instance, I mean, just for instance, uh, there was a list that was not a pleasure to make, which was, you know, the people we've lost in the last year. And this year seems to have been a year that has robbed us of so many great people. You know, Shami Kapoor, who I had the good fortune to meet for Forbes Life in the middle of the year, passed away a few months ago. M.F. Hussain, Indra Goswami, Bhupen Hazarika. Just the day that we were finishing the pages, uh, Mario Miranda, who's one of my personal icons, died. Sad year in that way. That was a sad list to put together. This is a list we introduced where we felt it was important to pay tribute to the people that we really will miss. I think we've also done stuff that's lighter. The the things that would have been better left unsaid? Absolutely. Yeah. The silly things that people said during the year that, uh, you know, perhaps that they wish they hadn't said. Like Mr. Anahazare, you know, the reaction to Sharad Pawar getting slapped where, say, where he insinuated that just perhaps one slap was all that happened. <laughs> you know, as if to say that perhaps he should have got a few more. Can you tell what did he exactly say? Because it's funny when you read that in Hindi. I think you should say that with a proper, with a proper <laughs> Marathi accent. I'll <laughs> murder it. Go for it. 
We did another list which was about, uh, you know, just having a little fun with new toys, you know, indulgences, things, hot things that you think you can buy that will sort of make your day. We looked at one which is pretty interesting, which is stars who made their debut during the year mm-hmm. who we think have staying power. Okay, so you have like mm-hmm. uh, a few authors and musicians. Interesting mix of people. Books, we contacted a lot of publishers, for instance, uh, Kiran Nagarkar has a book coming up, which is the long-awaited sequel to Ravan and Eddie, which, wow. you know, I can't personally, I cannot wait to read. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a Miko Ayer book coming up, where he, you know, he looks back at his obsession with Graham Greene, and how that also, and while on the way, he also talks about travel and writing, and how, you know, the relationship with his father. So that's one interesting set of, you know, books to look forward to in the year. And then we took this fun little list to end up stuff, which is, you're familiar with the Christmas carol about, you know, the 12 days of Christmas. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree, <laughs> and so on and so forth. Along one there, where we, you know, there's an index that tracks the cost of the items in the tree, mm-hmm. I mean, of the 12 days of Christmas. And for the first time in the U.S., that index, cumulative cost costs of all the items, crossed $100,000. So we said, hey, you know, let's have a little fun with our last page. And what we took was, took the same list and said how it would make sense to outsource Christmas to India, you know, get all those <laughs> items in India. Which was a, it was a tough ask. You know, we were scurrying around and talking. The thing is, you know, even with the lighter lists, we don't take them lightly. The idea is to have a light experience for the reader. Right. But we put in a hell of a lot of legwork into getting the answers right. So, Shishir, uh, this is Peter's way of saying, hey, look, even my job is as tough as the PE ratio calculators in, in Forbes India. Now, Peter, you were saying something. I'm sorry. I no, I was, I, was, yeah, I was just saying that, yeah, Indrajit Gupta listens to this podcast. I've got to make sure that my, uh, you know, that uh, my contribution is not uh, regarded as being completely fast. But, yeah, I was saying that the list, what we insist with everyone here, no matter, even if the list looks light, you put in your research. And you make sure that the likeness should come across for the reader and well, to reflect, uh, you know, something that one of the icons we lost during the year, Steve Jobs. The idea was the user should be delighted, but you put a hell of a lot of work in at the back end to make sure it works. Can I also say something, Peter? I think, I, you know, one of the other lists that I really found nice was these pictures that described the year. I think uh, absolutely. Our uh, photo chief Dinesh Krishnan did a beautiful set of photographs that looked back mm-hmm. at the year, the iconic moments of the year. And in some cases, he's made some finds that you wouldn't have seen. You know, I mean, what tends to happen in a lot of the lists that look back at the year is you're reminded of pictures you've seen through the year. For instance, he's he's looked at the events and found pictures. Dinesh is an amazing network of photographers and agencies and personal contacts and a fabulous mind as well. Right. The old cliche about a picture being worth a thousand words, man, like he's nailed it. I wish the other very interesting thing I think which our readers might want to look at you know, at leisure is some really wonderful artwork that has gone into most of the pages. Pretty offbeat sort of an approach to illustrating various ideas. 
My personal favorite is the question, you know, will Obama win presidency in 2012? And the artwork which accompanies that, I think our entire design department is sort of, you know, let their hair down in some way. The issue will be out in December and all of us will be... Uh, sorry, I correct you. It will be on stands on Friday. And it yeah. stays on stands for slightly longer than our usual uh, thing because we take a three-week uh, gap at this time of the year. As usual, we'll be releasing all the lists and articles, you know, in a staggered way over that period on businessartin.com. Right. And one of them will also be a little thing called three jobs that didn't exist before 2011, which I found was funny as well. You know, each year there are certain business titles which make you laugh, and uh, I will not let them out, but one of them is uh, Chief Dreamer. So what's a Chief Dreamer? It's, it's of course, self-explanatory, but it was interesting that somebody actually has a title called a Chief Dreamer and uh, is earning a, a good amount of money. Peter, you are not the only one. I'm sorry. I'm I'll, just inter- <laughs> I'll just interrupt for a second and say that... <laughs> <laughs> Before you, I mean, look, you guys are all picking on me right now, but look, one of the titles that we thought we'd look at for the year was, like, you know, Podcast Entrepreneur. Then we said, nah, that's been done. <laughs> that was 2006, I guess. Good comeback. <laughs> but yes, just to give a you know snapshot to our listeners and readers is that this is what uh, you will be expecting in the issue as well. And of course, we also move to certain sections which generally are not covered in, in Forbes is, is that of sports. I think it was interesting to see certain predictions in sport and uh, one of the one of the questions that you ask is will India regain the number one spot in test cricket well Shashir uh, I think my question to you would be how often will India score more than 300 in the upcoming Australia series because we did that only once against England uh, a few uh, a few months back well there are predictions and then there is you know shooting yourself in the foot <laughs> so I think predictions are fine we made that <laughs> that, that we will not get into. Hopefully, we'll do it more than thrice. Yeah, but Abhishek, I also also want to point out that uh, you know it's not the first time that sports has appeared on our pages. We've done covers on sports before, even the Rajasthan Cricket Academy, right? I remember that. Exactly. Right. Yes. Okay, we've done stories. We've looked back on things like look at Beckham's career. The issue that's now on stands, for instance, looks at the Kolkata obsession with football. I correct myself there because some more part of the. Cover also talks about the five sporting events that uh, you must not miss or you must go to in or you must watch at least in 2012. And of course, we have the Olympics and the Formula One. And we also have Roland Garros there. Right, because it's uh, Novak Djokovic who is gunning for his golden. Is it called the Golden Grand Slam or is it the. He's in line for a career slam, not the Grand Slam, which is a calendar year. But he's in line, uh, Djokovic is in line for a career slam, which is over, a, uh, but not, not in a calendar year. I mean, of course, if he goes on next year like the way he did this year and he cracks something at the Olympics, then yes, he could sort of do a Steffi Graf. Steffi Graf the only one who's done the Golden Slam. Right. Nadal, I think, he, he just won the, the Davis Cup some days back. So I think it will be a formidable next year with Nadal. And you can't count out Federer. What a great you know, year-end that was for him. Yeah, but somehow he's managed to lose after being two sets up, both to Djokovic as well as Songa. But yes, at the age that he is, I think he's 29 or 30 already, but he, he manages to power through in the semi-finals. Yeah, yeah. Moving from sports to movies, which are the movies that you recommend not to miss in 2012? Well, Minakshi Shade, who writes for us in Forbes Life as well, and someone who's very much on the festival circuit, they did this list for us. And... Uh, we selected five Indian films and five from abroad. Gangs of Vasipur, Anurag Kashyap's, uh, one, you know, Gangs of Vasipur 1 and 2. That's one that she recommends is going to be pretty hot. There's a film called Miss Lovely, another called Shanghai by Dibakar Banerjee. Then there's this very interesting film called The Ship of Theseus, which is named after a philosophical paradox, where the paradox is essentially that 
if you have a machine, say, for instance, and you replace all the parts, mm-hmm. is it still the same object? And looks at how you can now apply this principle to people. So mm-hmm. there's that. There's a movie called Laptop by Kaushik Ganguly. In foreign films, we have uh, Family's uh, Life of Pi. We have the Batman film, the last of the Christopher Nolan's, the third part of his triad of films. This is the Dark Knight Rises, which is coming up. There is a Great Gatsby, which Baz Luhrmann is making, which mm-hmm. is expected. Those will be the hot films. And of course, uh, the one that uh, everyone in India will be talking about is uh, Deepa Mehta's uh, film of Midnight, Midnight Children. Oh, is that finally coming through? Because it, it was in limbo for a while, right? It was shot in Sri Lanka to avoid problems with the Indian fundamentalists of various strikes. But yeah, the film has been made and it's expected sometime during the year. Salman Rushdie himself was, you know, very much involved with the making of the film. That'll be a film I'm looking forward to watching. I mean, it's a book that I read, you know, way back when I was in college. And those characters are so, you, you have only had your your mind's image of the characters so far. And it's always interesting when you see a much beloved and uh, comic book being visualized mm-hmm. in film. You're going to say, you know, this isn't how I imagined it or that's exactly how I imagined it. And it'll be interesting to see what a great director does with a great author's book. Absolutely. And one final open-ended question to both of you. Which part was the most fun for you to put together? Peter, you first. Shushit, you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> for me, I think the interesting and the most challenging also. There's so many people inside uh, Forbes magazine that contribute various things. So this is an issue in some ways with the maximum number of moving parts. There are lists, and each list itself has inputs coming in from more than one staffer, for instance. There are a whole host of lists which are done by outsiders. It's a bit like an orchestra, and somehow, hopefully on the D-Day, we all sort of fall in line and we sound all in tune. So mm-hmm. that is also the challenging as well as the most fun part, because almost everybody inside the organization is contributing in some way to this issue. Tushi pretty much nailed it there. The whole thing here is that, you know, as he put it so well, it's so many moving parts, everybody contributes. And uh, really the trying to make that all go together, there's, you know, spreadsheets going back and forth with who's doing what, where and when, mm-hmm. following up with deadlines, all of those things, making sure it all comes together. So really the funnest part of the whole thing is at the end, <laughs> it's all done. And right. you say that, okay, finally, there, now, you know, it's out of our hands, it's in the printer and it's up to the reader now. I mean, even one week before you're like, you know, this hasn't come through, that hasn't come through, what are you going to do about it? And then somehow it all falls into place and it's it's a very, very happy moment when you hear that final click. Yes, that's awesome. And in fact, the readers can pick this uh, issue up in less than 48 hours from now. And also you can listen to this podcast on business.in.com as well as theindicast.com. I guess you guys will be going on a sort of a mini vacation, right? Because as you said, the next issue will not hit. This one's going to stay on the, the editor of this magazine certainly is going on a vacation, and, but we, lesser mortals, have to slog and work for the first issue of January, so we'll be working. Yeah, one of our flagship <laughs> products coming up at the beginning of the year. We have a big, big deal investment issue coming up. Yes, and I think we will be talking about that with Shishi uh, soon enough in the next podcast, the investment issue. For the moment, listeners can uh, subscribe to Forbes magazine by messaging Forbes to 51818. That's about it from this year-end special. Thank you, guys. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, yes. Yeah, Happy New Year. Bye-bye.